Coming off of a very interesting draft night, Blake didn't watch it live, <laughs> yet he had to go watch yes. Endgame, which is perfectly understandable, yeah. by the way. I don't I don't give you any blame for that. But then stays up until 4 a.m. to oh. watch it. Blake, how were you able to digest all of that it, that late in the morning? It was amazing, actually. I'm not going to lie. I had so much fun with the draft process throughout. It's, it's honestly like, you know, it's one of my favorite things when covering sports, the whole draft process into the NFL draft. And... Three weeks ago, I think it was the same day that we went and saw the um, the Nats play the Phillies and Bryce Harper's return. My friend texted me and was like, "Hey, let's let's go see Endgame the night it comes out." And I wasn't thinking about the draft, so I was like, "Yeah, let's buy tickets." Almost ditched last night to just watch the draft live, but decided I was going to shut off my phone, turn off notifications, text everyone I talked to the draft about. I had like a a, a message I would <laughs> just copy and paste yep. to send to everyone. <laughs> uh, watched Endgame. It was amazing. Then went immediately home uh, and watched the draft on a delay on a live stream that I I, I like uh, three three guys that I really like listening to. I didn't watch ESPN's or thing or anything. I, I watched Bleach Report Live's stream um, and went all the way to the beginning and just started four hours of stuff. I uh, was up extremely late, very tired, slept the entire day. But uh, were you skipping in between each no, pick? No, I was just listening to everything. All of it. I was oh, listening to everything. Every single thing. I wanted the analysis. I wanted. I wanted breakdowns, trade reports, stuff like that. And uh, yeah, it was. It was fun. I was kind of lonely, just you know, just sitting <laughs> in my bed. At Couldn't text anyone, like freaking out. Yeah, and then the worst part was, is like I was getting. It was so late on. It was in like the three o'clock range, and and we're getting a pick twenty six, and I'm like, oh the Colts, this will be fun. And then they trade out of the first round, so I was yep. like, I waited all this time for them to trade out. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting draft, to say the least. Yeah, the Redskins certainly making some headlines. The Giants making some headlines. Uh, we'll, we'll take a look here. Let's, let's just talk about the top five right now. Obviously, Kyler Murray going number one. You called it. I, I didn't really think that they would do it, the Cardinals, but ultimately they pulled the trigger on their quarterback. Cliff Kingsbury gets his guy, you know, Obviously, this is what you were expecting. Was mm-hmm. any of this, you know, the lead up to it uh, surprise you and how any, everything turned out, or did this go exactly how you thought it would go? This went exactly how I thought it would go. Now, I did think that Rosen could have been on the move last night for an end of the first round pick. He's going to the Dolphins. It, it seems like it. Yep. Right. It hasn't been confirmed yet. No, the Pro Football Talk uh, right. tweeted it about an hour ago, saying right. saying uh, for their forty eighth pick in the draft, which I love it. It, it. The the Dolphins are trying to make. Uh, New England South, and I think uh, just looking mechanics-wise and and intelligence-wise, I think that they do have some comparisons between Tom Brady and Rosen. Um, of course, I'm not Ooh. saying that Tom Brady is near the talent. I don't think he has the offensive system. Tom Brady's not near no, the no, talent of no. Josh, <laughs> Josh Rosen. Oh, man, is. like, wow. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing on yeah. this show, man. Josh Rosen is not nearly the talent. Uh, he does lack a couple things that Brady does have, but I would also say that uh, Josh McDaniels plays a big part in his success, into his success. So I think that Rosen is a guy that I think will do well in Miami if that's the direction they choose to go in. So 
moving on from Murray, we, we go into this top five, and I think <clears throat> yeah. everyone can agree that the, the biggest, I guess, head-scratcher of all the picks is Colin Farrell going to the yeah. Raiders at nobody uh, number four. I don't think anybody saw that coming. What exactly no. is their thinking there? Yeah, their, their thinking there is, I, I guess, that the premier rush class by picks 24 and 27 would have been gone, which if you look at it, it was. Fair. So... If this was their top guy that they had, um, and, and uh, you know we can discuss the Raiders' later picks as well too, but it seemed like this is a big culture draft for them. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is a lot to it means a lot for a player to be the captain of Clemson, a two-time national champion while he was there. Clellan Furrow was the captain of that defense, um, and it, it's just you know if, I don't blame them if the Raiders if he was their top rusher, and we can go into where he stacked up in the class. I think I had him in like my four to five range behind a couple guys. But if he was your guy, if he was the character fit that you wanted in Oakland, um, I watched the emotional conversation between him and uh, and the Raiders personnel. He was very emotional, very grateful. Um, I'm okay with it at four. Now, maybe you could have traded back to seven or eight uh, or even nine if Buffalo had really wanted to move up. And we'll get into Buffalo's pick later, too, because they got who they wanted. But I, I'm not going to blame them. I'm not going to blame them for the pick. It was a little early, but culture fit, position fit that they desperately needed. They do need an edge guy. Bosa and Williams off the board. I can't hate them too much for it. It was a little early for my liking. Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't know if Farrell really stood out in that group that you're talking about here, like the Ed Olivers, the, the Josh Allens. That, that that tier right there, I just don't know if it justified taking a player. But if you're right. If, if that was really Oakland's plan, we have to get a pass rusher. We obviously traded Khalil Mack. Last offseason, there was a big void in, in that part of our defense. You know, what, whatever. You know, that, I'm not going to hate on the pick. I think that I, I thought they would go offense there. Uh, well, DK Metcalf, my pick, didn't even end up going in the first round. Yeah. Um, which, that in itself was pretty surprising to me, but... Uh, you know what? The, the the Raiders are in rebuild mode. They know that, um, and they're they're taking a risk here. But it's it's a risk that they think you know was a safer pick oh, uh, in the long run. Definitely, I would say that he has among the highest floors mm-hmm. of this pass rushing class. I believe there are a lot of guys that probably have higher potential. You know, Montez Sweat, Josh Allen, but Furl definitely day one has the lo- the highest floor, and and may have probably wanted to play it safe in his first draft. He's never been a GM before. Mm-hmm. He's been sitting at NFL Network's desk <laughs> for years doing this job, and. So he wants to play it safe, and if there's a guy that he thinks will at least do the bare minimum day one uh, better and consistent, like you said, I'm fine with it. Then the next shocker, the draft, only two picks later, Daniel Jones, quarterback out of Duke, being selected by the Giants. Now here's the thinking that I've heard reported thus far, was the Giants were afraid that the Redskins were going to scoop in and like and pick yes. Jones, because they had heard... Reports coming out of Washington were that they were big fans of Jones and that they didn't think at 17, I think was the Giants' next pick, Mm -hmm. where the Skins were at 15, they would take Jones before he got there. Mm -hmm. So, and they were actually afraid that the Skins were actually going to trade up in front of them and that six wouldn't be soon enough. But once he fell to them, I mean, we've heard reports. All, all offseason that the Giants didn't like Haskins, and you thought it was a smokescreen. I thought it just meant they weren't going to go quarterback in general. But right. Clearly, they had a guy in mind, and it was Jones. Yeah, and, and I will agree. I've heard the same exact things that Washington wanted Jones ahead. They were, of course, split mm-hmm. in, in their front office and coaching staff is what I've heard between uh, where to go with Dwayne Haskins or Daniel Jones. 
I, I'm not upset with the Giants for taking him at 6 as opposed to 17. I believe if he's your quarterback, there's an elevation of where you need to take your quarterback. You don't want to run the risk of 11 picks happening, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden your guy is gone. And then also your backup plans are probably gone too. Uh, I would say, you know, most likely maybe if, if there was a team that came up to, to select Dwayne Haskins, if Washington had jumped up and taken Daniel Jones or something, then you're stuck without your quarterback. You also still had the Broncos <clears throat> and the Dolphins, two teams that were yes. rumored to be interested in quarterbacks, mm-hmm. uh, certainly had the need. I mean, we see the, you see the Dolphins trading for Josh Rosen. It looks like the Broncos are all in on tanking for Tua uh, or something along those lines yeah. for next year. Uh, or sorry, I meant the, uh, the Broncos. Uh, the, the Broncos. The Bengal? Wait, the... The Broncos. the Broncos. Oh, the Broncos are in a win now phase. They're not worried with about that roster. Tanking. Yeah, they are. Their defense is still, still, still tough. Offensive line. Joe Flacco's the answer then for you. I don't agree with that, <laughs> but I think they're still in a win now phase. Okay, I don't fair. That's fair. That they're going to be tanking, but. But, yeah, I agree. There are teams that I would just feel like if, if you waited till 17, your quarterback wouldn't be available. Now, my problem is. He's just not a good player. He's not a good football player. Mm-hmm. He, he's not meant to be a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL. And you drafted a guy that the connections were is that he uh, was coached by a guy that had worked with both the Mannings. If you look at him, he looks just like Eli Manning. He's a guy that is going to probably carry a lot of respect in that locker room, uh, in the franchise. He's going to be a guy that is basically going to be their be- uh, their baby Eli. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that there are more talented guys across the board at the quarterback position. Drew Locke. Uh, Dwayne Haskins, Ryan Finley, Jarrett Stidham, I believe all are better than Daniel Jones. So I'm not mad that they took him at 6 as opposed to 17. I'm just upset that they took him in general. And then when they backed it up with 17 and took Dexter Lawrence. Um, and, and if we want to talk about the, the Giants' final two picks there as well, I had take, had seen them taking edge at 17, and I said on last episode too, don't be surprised if they did take Dexter Lawrence because that was the other guy there that... Uh, <clears throat> that had been rumored recently, and then they go with Dexter Lawrence. The problem is, is that you drafted Dalvin Tomlinson uh, a couple years ago, and they played the same exact position, and they can't play a different position on the defensive line. So I have a problem with the Giants just, A, drafting the wrong quarterback, um, not not a problem with him going at 6, but following it up at 17 with Dexter Lawrence, who's a guy that you already have someone that's talented that does the same job. I don't think Dexter Lawrence and him could be on the field at the same time. Um, And then, of course, they traded back in at pick 30 uh, to take DeAndre Baker. I also think that you didn't need to trade up in the first round to get him. It was clear from four over the last few months that he wasn't going to be a first-round pick. And then you want to know what his biggest problem is? Personality. He didn't interview well. You know where that's not good in a major market like New York. I <laughs> I hate this Giants draft. You top it on with trading away, uh, trading away Odell Beckham Jr. The other moves they've made this offseason, letting Landon Collins go. Uh, to me, Gettleman, he's when he's fired a year or two down the road, we're going to look at how far back he set the Giants, and it's going to be a disgrace. I mean, yeah, they're definitely going all in on this draft, and they, a lot of jobs are going to be riding on these selections here. So I think it's going to be it's going to be fun to watch. I, I think if you I think <laughs> if you look two years down the road, if you if if Eli is done at the end of next year, the year after, and you've got Daniel Jones and you've got these guys, I think that this is a fireable draft, uh, at least in the first round. Right, I want to jump down uh, to the number 10 pick here, which is where we saw the first yes. trade oh. uh, of the draft. The Steelers making a rare decision to trade up, selecting Devin Bush, 
The last two times Pittsburgh has traded up in a draft in the first round. You want to know their last two selections? Was it Troy Palomalu? Oh, okay. Santonio Holmes. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so the, the talented two, guys. two talented guys, and when they identify somebody, they go after him. Yeah. And you know they have this boy with Ryan Shazier getting that that horrific injury. Uh, and this he you now see Bush kind of be the guy that can step in for him there. Mm-hmm. How do you like the pick? I love it for lots of reasons. Um, it didn't seem like the Broncos were that interested in taking him. They could have taken him. That seemed to be the guy that if it wasn't going quarterback, they were going to take him, but trading away, letting uh, Pittsburgh come up. The the biggest thing is that they went up ahead of a division opponent that was likely going to take the same guy. Mm-hmm. The Steelers jumped the Bengals at 11, go up to 10, take the guy that is far and away the second best linebacker, and the drop off between him and the next highest linebacker. I mean, of course, you didn't see another one go in the first round. You likely won't see another one go in the early parts of the second round, too. Um, this was just, it was a great move. And like you said, you know, they're not known to be an aggressive team in the draft. They really don't trade up too often. They let guys fall to them. But they saw the clear talent gap between Devin Bush and the rest of the class. They jumped at a vision opponent that would have taken him at 11. I love the move for the Steelers, and it's a, it's a strong way to move on from uh, Ryan Chazier because we were wondering if they were stuck at 20, you know, they were going to address maybe corner, uh, maybe interior offensive line, other positions um, because. We assumed Devin Bush wouldn't be available, um, but that was probably their biggest glaring need on defense, is, is in the middle of that defense. We're now at 15, where the Redskins selected Haskins, <clears throat> and probably you know one of the more notice, most notable uh, picks in this draft. Haskins, obviously being the third, third quarterback off the board, was not expected, uh, but he kind of just fell right into the Redskins' laps. They uh, reportedly were interested in trading up to try and select the quarterback, so maybe they were going to pick Haskins, maybe they are going to pick Jones, we don't really know. Um, but... Where what is the fit here? Because a lot of people are saying this was you know ownership stepping in, saying I want Haskins. He's going to be a good marketing tool for us. He might not necessarily be a fit in our offense, but we can fit around him as opposed to him sliding right in with our current structure. Do you think that's true? I think he fits the offensive scheme. Uh, the biggest knock on him is deep accuracy, and he doesn't really have that big of a cannon of an arm. But Jay Gruden's offense is a lot of short, intermediate passes, so I like the fit there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and, and, and we've heard uh, even as far as last night or this morning, that he's going to be given the chance to start day one. Um, he's going to be able to go in there, compete with Colt McCoy, Case Keenum. And honestly, if I'm the Redskins, I would start him day one. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bother putting out a guy like Case Keenum um, or Colt McCoy at this point. You drafted him at 15 overall. He's the future quarterback of your franchise because of you took him in the first round. Um, I think the fit is better than... than um, then maybe if he were to go to the the Giants, I, I guess there would have been a good fit there as well. But but with the Redskins, I think he fits what their offense is going to look like. He also will have uh, a, a good offensive line. Now, if they can stay healthy, that's the big thing. And then he'll also have a run game where Darius Guy's coming back. And we always talk about long injuries, and I said last episode, two-year injuries. But he'll have uh, working with Darius Guy's and Adrian Peterson. Should be a good offense. I love the Redskins draft. I Absolutely love it. I think what they did in free agency and in the NFL draft, I think that the Redskins are going to be poised for a very good season next year. So this is my thing. I'm not sure if starting Haskins week one is necessarily the best idea for a couple of reasons. The Redskins start off with a brutal schedule to start the year. They go Philadelphia, Dallas, Chicago, Giants, Patriots, just to start off. I mean, that's that's their first five games right there. It's pretty right. bad. Mm-hmm. And throwing a guy, a rookie quarterback, into that situation when he's, he's learning a new offense, he, he's getting acclimated with his teammates, 
And the Redskins obviously are needing a fresh face at quarterback. And the last fresh face at quarterback was a, was a guy who you know got hurt and was a top draft pick who, who didn't pan out. I don't know if you want to just throw Haskins into that fire right away. Because if you have him struggle in those first five games, I mean, you know, there's going to be calls for, for you know, Case Keenum to be put in. Colt McCoy, whoever it is. Wouldn't you rather it be Colt McCoy or Case Keenum starts the season at quarterback, and if they struggle, then you call for the guy who probably needed a little bit more time anyway to train to come in, and then he can kind of have his moment after the, the, the real, you know, bulk of that tough schedule is behind you. Yeah, so I think there's two different approaches to that, and I guess it depends on where you think your team is going to be moving forward. Now, if you want to look at uh, the Browns last year, they drafted Baker Mayfield over uh, number one overall. Tyrod Taylor started the few games of the first season. Maybe that gave Baker a few more weeks to be acclimated, but with this difference in success that Baker had than Tyrod, you give him an extra win maybe in those early weeks. If he was able to get that done, you're looking at a team that made the wild card. If they, they were one game off of pushing for the playoffs. Or no, it wasn't like that. Maybe two games off. I think I'm they were. They were. Happened. They entered week seventeen as with a chance at a playoff exactly. spot, but were eliminated okay. before the game finished. Yes, that's right. Okay, so then I'm saying if you give there's the flip of the coin, and then you look at with the Bills and Josh Allen didn't start off immediately, and you started with a guy that was considerably one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL, Nathan Peterman. There, there's a lot of directions where you you want to be hesitant, but at the same time, you got to kind of see what you have early on, too, because it can change the direction of your season. And like you said, Baker did come in in Week 3, so it wasn't too late, but if you had him in Week 1 or Week 2, and they had some low-scoring games, I believe their first game against Pittsburgh was a, a really low-scoring one that they could have won. They tied. They tied that one, exactly. Yep. And so, and so and then, then they lost to the Saints uh, in, in the next week. close game, right? Um, Tyrod actually had an awesome game, yeah. um, but it went to overtime, right. and they, they missed a field goal right at the mm-hmm. end. Or I don't know if it went to overtime, but it was a missed field goal by the the Browns kicker costing the win. Right. So, so it, it might have been the extra point. I don't know. It was something. It like was that. something like that yeah. with the kicker at the end. And, and then and then you look at another uh, you know situation. I guess it just depends on who the guys you have in front of you are. Because two years ago, Alex Smith was a starting quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. We all knew that Patrick Mahomes was the future of the franchise, but because Alex Smith had such a I guess reputable. Um, career through that point that they chose to just give Mahomes a year. I don't think that I would rather see Colt McCoy or Case Keenum play. I just don't think the talent separation is that big. Now you could throw off, you know, give him a shaky start to the beginning of his career, but I think that quarterbacks are now in more of a time where they're ready to start out of the gates than they have been in the past. You know, we've seen guys like Rodgers take a few years on the bench. Uh, other guys as well that have kind of just been slowly integrated. I think quarterbacks are more ready, more NFL ready now than they've been in, you know, the last 10 years. I want to jump down now to the 24th pick, the Raiders selecting Josh Jacobs, the running back out of Alabama. Um, what what exactly uh, do you see here? I mean, obviously Marshawn Lynch is retiring. This <clears> is going to be, I mean, Josh Jacobs' you know, opportunity to run away with. What do you like about him? What do you not like? And and do you think, I guess, fantasy-wise, is he your top oh. rookie coming into this year? Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I guess he would be my top offensive rookie. Um, I mean, I, you know, you, quarterbacks aside. Cause quarterbacks fantasy, aside. Fantasy quarterback points is a little bit different. Um, yeah, I guess he would be. I guess it depends where some of these wide receivers go in the second round. Um, you would have to consider Nikhil Harry. Mm-hmm. Out of New England. Absolutely. Um, Marquise at, Brown as well, being yeah. number one in Baltimore. Where DK ends up, maybe that's another guy if you get him with a quarterback that can throw it long. But I think with the value of quarterbacks, I like Josh Jacobs' fit in Oakland. It's a physical front. 
Um, they've got talented receivers that'll open up a lot of play action, which will also, if you've got Antonio Brown, Tyrell Williams, and maybe they get a receiver or a tight end um, later on as well, there's going to be less of a focus on stopping the run. Like if you look in New, New York, Saquon Barkley is going to have a, a hell of a year trying to run the ball because there's no receiving threats and there's no quarterback that can throw deep. So everyone's going to stack the box. I don't think teams I mean, Golden need... Tate. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, and who's throwing the ball? Eli freaking Manning. Uh, so I think that the thing is with the Raiders, Josh Jacobs will have a really good opportunity. He also is a good pass catcher, so I think he's a three down back. I like the fit, and, and you know, hats off to us too as well because this was one of the mm-hmm. uh, few or so picks that we did accurately pick the team to the player. Yeah, I think uh, if we go purely on the pick, getting the player at the right pick because of trades kind of make that confusing. You had seven, I had four oh, wow. uh, in the first round. So kudos mm-hmm. to you. You won uh, that th- this uh, time around here. Um, yeah, I want to talk about Nikhil Harry too. Uh, close things out here with this first round. I mean, just seems like a great pick for for the Patriots. I mean, I wasn't sure if they were actually going to go receiver. They they just signed um, what's his name coming off the injury. Played for the Texans last year. Demarius uh, Thomas. Demarius Thomas. He probably won't be ready till like December. Exactly. But I'm, I'm yeah. looking at the stretch run right. here uh, and, yeah. and what kind of impact we'll make in the playoffs. Because when you're talking about the Patriots, you know, you know how, who's going to be relied on come playoff time mm-hmm. and. Nikhil Harry just seems like a you know so fun uh, right. for for Tom Brady to play with. Yeah, I, I had I had thought AJ Brown at the point, but this is kind of the same uh, type of player, guy that could play inside and outside. Great hands, good route running, and that's perfect for the New England offense. And we've seen, like we said on the last episode, they've been trying to get star receivers into New England. They tried to trade for him, um, Antonio Brown, Odell. It didn't end up working out. They get one of the one of the better receivers in this class, a guy that. Late rumors had that he was going to pop up into the end of the first round. People thought he was going to go to 29 or 30 with the Seahawks. Uh, they traded out of 30. Uh, he fits right in New England. He's going to be a fun toy for the Patriots to play with. I know the Patriots kind of changed their how they want to run their offense offense every year. This year it became a lot of run-heavy stuff, but I think if you got a guy like that on the inside, play the outside, good route runner, Tom Brady's going to be excited. And I think a, an underrated aspect of his game that would be very attractive to the Patriots He's one of the best blocking wide receivers uh, that we had in this draft mm-hmm. class, something that he was held very highly for at Arizona State. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, a, a few things, but are you are we switching over? I just want to get... Well, I was going to say, list. is there anything else from this first round you want to talk about? Yeah, I think just the, the fact that, that injuries really seem to play a huge role into this. Uh, you know, considerably the top tackle, Juwan Taylor, late reports about his knee has actually got some um, some, you know... Uh, problems with it. He drops completely out of the first round. This is a guy that I think I had going uh, uh, eight, or he was in the top 14 of my picks. He fell completely out of the first round. Uh, We talked about Jeffrey Simmons being a top five talent before his ACL tear. He drops to 19. Um, And then there's one last guy I'm trying to think about who, oh, Montez Sweat. Mm -hmm. He was considered a top 10 pick as well. And he falls all the way to the Redskins, who trade back up in at 26 with the Colts. Um, so injuries did play a large part into some of the stock falling for some of these guys. Um, and we also saw a, a, an interesting run with tackles. And I wanted to bring this up because I thought it was pretty funny how this ended up. You saw Titus Howard out of Alabama State and Caleb McGarry from Washington being taken in the first round. And it's positional value and a steep drop-off, uh, I guess, between inside linemen and outside linemen. And the tackle class... You know, Titus Howard and and Caleb McGarry were projected second to third round picks, but what was interesting uh, with the Texans especially, and they screwed themselves over this, they had the the 
biggest leak of the entire draft process was that they were going to take Andre Dillard at 23. Mm-hmm. So what did a team that wanted... Jumped them one jumped right, early. The Eagles jumped right up to 22 to take Andre Dillard. So they kind of screwed themselves with that, but they did you know, have to go and take tackles later on. The Falcons wanted to shore up their right side of the line, took a tackle as well, but it was interesting to see how that kind of fell out. Tackle or tackle? The, the Falcons next year are going to be the first team in NFL history to start five players on their offensive line who are all first-round picks. Oh, wow. Never has that happened in any game, oh, not even just a season over. In any in game any in game NFL ever. history, there's never been five first-round picks all in one offensive line. This could be a talented group. It is going to be a talented group. I like McGarry. I, like I said, it was a little high for me, but I also really love them getting Chris Lindstrom. That was a mm-hmm. shocker to me, too. He There was late buzz he was going to sneak into the end of the first round, and then you know for the Falcons to pass up on a guy like... Garrett Bradbury, um, and and to have him jump up to fourteen, bit of a reach. But if they if they were the guys that they like on that right side of the line, I have no problems with it. Absolutely, right. I think it was a fun fun first round. Yeah. One of the uh, a lot of trades, but not, yeah, not and, the thing and, is not in that first yeah, ten. It exactly. was it was all in the later yeah. parts. A lot of teams trading back in, uh, that kind of thing. So yeah, it was a lot of fun to watch. Two more things: Ed Oliver fit in Buffalo. Perfect. I can't believe I, he fell all the way I to Buffalo. I love it. I, I mean, thought they the were Bills trade must up. have been giddy. The exactly. fact that they did because they were talking about trading up for him yeah. earlier on. And, and, and even if, if Haskins was the guy for Washington, him falling there and other mm-hmm. guys falling, it just seemed to work out perfectly for certain teams. I would say the Raiders for Jonathan Abram to fall to them. There were a lot of situations where players fell, but Ed Oliver is going to be an absolute monster in Buffalo. I love that fit. And then the last thing, because I, I I always feel like I have stuff to say, just. The players available in round two. You've got some of the top receivers and the top cornerbacks. And so if you're a team, and I'm not trying to put them out there, but the Colts do have three second-round picks now. Mm-hmm. They're going to be able to get three pretty good players, especially with uh, with at first with pick 34. They could take the possibly maybe the top receiver on some people's boards, uh, A.J. Brown, if he's available. They could take easily the top corner because I know a lot of people didn't have DeAndre Baker um, as their top corner. There are teams in the second round that can do a lot of damage if they have multiple picks, and I think that's why you saw a lot of those trades at the end. Some of these teams trade out into the second round. Mm-hmm. But uh, wide receivers and cornerbacks are going to be uh, heavily available, and even you know a guy like Jawan Taylor will be available in round two as well. Absolutely. You think Drew Locke's going to be taken as well in the second round? I would hope so. That was the biggest disappointment for me was not seeing him in the first round because I, I do love his talent a lot. Um, I'm trying to think of teams. Denver is still an option. If they wanted to, they could go up and get him in the second round now. Um, they did get some extra picks, too, when they traded back to 20. I think they were fourth-round picks, though, so I'm not entirely sure. But they do have uh, room to take him. I would expect there, maybe Cincinnati would, um, to maybe move on from Andy Dalton. But those two teams, and then you got to take into account the Packers seem to be really interested in him um, as maybe the heir apparent to Aaron Rodgers in a few years. But... I hope he goes in the second round. Because I really I wouldn't really also rule out the Patriots. Yeah, uh, yeah they got know, they've, they've been, Yeah, they've been rumored to be really interested uh, yeah. in finding success for, successor for Tom Brady. Of course. Locke is exactly the type of player who would definitely not start week one. Um, you know, obviously with, with Brady anyway, you're not going to be having any kind of competition. But, right. he, you know, I think he'd be a good fit to uh, learn underneath him. Definitely. All right. That's going to do it for our draft recap. Um, had a lot of fun with that. We're going to... There was some basketball that was played uh, <laughs> over during... the last over the last few weeks, even. <laughs> yeah, we haven't we haven't talked too much hoops, to be honest. I mean, you know, Blake's more of an NFL guy. Yeah. I'm an MLB guy. A- NBA kind of falls both of us into our third best favorite sport category. So right. it, it falls to the wayside a little bit. So we apologize that we haven't talked too much NBA playoffs. But as the, the 
you know, we get close to the finals and we start narrowing down some of these teams, I'm sure we'll, we'll dive into a little bit more. But the, the, the series I want to talk about right now is the Nuggets versus the Spurs. Now, that's knotted at 3-3 and has huge implications on the Western Conference standings, Nuggets being the number two seed in the West. Uh, them losing would be huge. Uh, as, a, as a threat potentially to the, the Warriors right. going back uh, to the finals. This series here, the Spurs uh, took Game 6, 120-103, uh, to knot it at 3, send it to Game 7, which is going to go back to Denver uh, tomorrow on Saturday. Uh, will be that game. Of course, we still have the Warriors-Clippers series going on, oddly yeah. enough, but um, I, I'm expecting the Warriors to close that out tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, this series intrigues me uh, on a couple of levels. I think a player that doesn't get talked about a lot is Rudy Gay. Uh, he hasn't been starting for the for the uh, Spurs, but they're three and zero this series when he reaches double figures. And the Spurs, when they won yesterday, first time all series that San Antonio's bench outscored the Nuggets. Oh, wow. uh, and I, I think that comes in and plays a big factor because the Nuggets are a deep team. They, you know, they they obviously have Jokic. Uh, they have Millsap. You know, two two stars absolutely. Uh, and Murray has been you know playing out of his mind for the most of the series. Um, but they're, they're a team that's kind of boasted being deeper, uh, but the bench just didn't come to play. And uh, I think it was a 22-4 to run while Jokic was on the bench uh, in which the Spurs kind of took control of this game. So, you know, moving forward, what are you, what are you expecting in Game 7 here? This is, uh, you know, this, this, the Spurs have a bit of an older team. You know, Mar- LaMarcus Aldridge, DeMar DeRozan, those are guys who have been in these situations before, whereas this, the, the Nuggets are new to the whole playoff scene. Jokic has never played in a Game 7. They have a lot of young guys who've never played in a Game 7. Are you expecting Popovich's uh, experience to come through here, or do you think that the Nuggets are just a better team and will prevail in the Game 7? Yeah, and that's the, the the thing that made this series fun, is that you know that, the, in my opinion, the Nuggets have a much better roster than San Antonio. They've got mm-hmm. bigger stars, more deep benches, what I think as well, too. But you've got the experienced Greg Popovich team. It's like you can never count them out in a series, no matter who is on that team, because he is probably one of the greatest coaches of all time. He kind of reminds me of the Bill Belichick of the NBA. Um, to me, I think it comes on getting getting these Nuggets players going at the same time. Um, you know, you'll have a 43-point game last night from Jokic, um, and then you've got a game where, uh, sorry if I'm finding myself right, you know, Jam- uh, Jamal Murray had 23 <coughs> in Game 5, Gary Harris 20. In- I, I, to me, it's you need to get all of these guys going at the same time, and it's been kind of inconsistently when these players have been striking around. Now, if you look at their scoring averages per game, Jokic is leading them with around 24 points a game, 12 rebounds and 9 assists. So he's been carrying a huge workload for this offense. Um, of course, the scoring has come in from Jamal Murray, where he's got 18 as well. But I think finding scoring production off the bench... Can we talk for a second about Paul Millsap? Because I just... I. Back when he was in Atlanta, and I know he's getting to the older side, he's 33 now as well, he's one of the star players on the Atlanta Hawks team that went far in the playoffs, that gave him a massive contract to come over here, um, and he is shooting a high percentage, uh, 31% from three though, 12 points a game, four rebounds, I think we need to see a bigger game from him, um, mm-hmm. and I think that the bench also needs to step up, you know, the Malik Beasleys, uh, the Monte Morris, um, they've been key contributors, but I think we do need to see a little more from them. Yeah, absolutely, I mean, you know, the the... the the thing about the Nuggets is like they're not experienced, right? right? Especially, especially their bench players, who are guys who aren't getting a, yeah. a ton of minutes in the first place. And so, when they are coming in, um, mm-hmm. you know, you're not expecting a whole lot out of them. Uh, and Jokic, the the thing I think that's most important here for the for the Nuggets 
is don't be afraid to play Jokic as much as possible. I mean, you saw what happened when they took him out. Uh, the bench, which has played well throughout the series, might have been figured out. You don't really know. Popovich is, is, is heralded as the king of making adjustments. Right. Uh, when, when he sees something, you know, he after game six, he was very cryptic. Uh, when talking to reporters about his game plan, he was like, why would I tell you that? With yeah. all due to respect, that's not something I want to really give up. Uh, to any of you because I don't want it used against me. Yeah. And I, I think he might have figured something out here. And so now, you know, if you're the Nuggets, you need to adjust. You look at, all right, well, what, what exactly did we do poorly? Uh, when our bench was on the court, what do we need to do now? And I think it comes down to, I mean, Jokic played out of his mind. He, he's playing the best basketball he's ever played in his career. I know he's so young, obviously. But, you know, this is his first real shot uh, at making a deep playoff run. And you don't want to lose this in the first round. I mean, you know, no. Denver fans are not going to look too kindly uh, upon the team after something like that where you, you haven't seen a single upset in any of the series so far. The entire Eastern Conference is settled. Uh, all the all the higher seeds won, and the two in the West uh, series that have been settled also have been the higher seeds. So, you know, it's this is definitely, you don't want to be that one team that fails to do that. Obviously, the Warriors can still be that team, but I, like I said, I still don't think that's going to happen. The Clippers have been playing very well, uh, you know, given all the circumstances, but that's just mm-hmm. not something we're expecting out of them. The, the, I think the big thing here uh, is Derek White. The, the point guard for uh, San Antonio, he has been a revelation for them. You know, the, he's kind of having his rookie season this year. Uh, mm-hmm. He's technically a second-year player, but he was bouncing back and forth between the G League and the NBA last year. So this was his first full season. Started 55 games and played 67. So it was a, a transition that started a role. He's only 24 years old. Um, but when you know he had a 36-point game in Game 3, absolutely mm-hmm. played out of his mind, but then kind of fell off a little bit uh, in the past few games. Hasn't really been that guy for the Spurs. So, you know, he's still learning, but obviously you're in a Game 7 situation now where, you know, you have to step up regardless of whatever your career situation is. Um, so, you know, as far as who I think wins this game, uh, I mean, Denver's got the home court advantage. They seem like the, the better team, the deeper team. The bench, like I said, outscored San Antonio in every game except for Game 6. Mm. I'm going to go with the you know, statistical odds here and say that they're probably going to revert back to where they were. But, like I said, they need to adjust. Just the same as Spurs did in Game 6. Denver needs to do so as well, and I think don't be afraid to play Jokic for 40, 45 minutes if you really need to. Right. I, when looking at that game plan, it seems like you know the, the, big, the big weakness with Jokic is defensive capabilities. And for San Antonio, they're a team that attacks on the inside. They don't have great shooters necessarily around them. We talk about LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan. They love to work that mid-range game. Mm-hmm. Of course, they're only shooting 35% from three compared to Denver's 39, uh, but they are shooting about 48% from the field. To me, Jokic, if you look at defensive rating, uh, he's got the lowest defensive rating on the team at 111. Um, let me just make sure. I, yep, he's got the lowest one. And so, and, uh, you know, I think to see the focal point has to be attacking that in, interior, uh, in getting into the paint, um, trying to draw on Jokic. Yes. That being said, Denver outscored San Antonio 72-36 to in the paint in Game 6. Oh, really? Okay. Boards, however... Not so much. And the Nuggets right. really struggled shooting from outside, 8 for 31 from 3 mm. uh, in that game. So they're definitely, the, the Nuggets are not afraid to pound inside. Uh, they're, right. they're a big pick-and-roll team. Um, we saw that actually come and affect an injury-type uh, perform- uh, situation late in Game 6 where we saw Murray um, hobble after getting hit in the knee, in, in the thigh. I mean, so he ended up staying in the game and was fine, but... You know, this is definitely a physical, both teams are physical. Um, we yeah. see Aldridge as the focal point for that, that down low play. Yeah. And nobody's stopping Aldridge. I'm not saying that, you know, Denver is dominating him in any way. Um, but that's kind of where that, that, that game lies. And the defense for Aldridge, considering Denver has scored that many points in the paint, really, you know, isn't showing. 
uh, necessarily. So I think yeah. Aldridge needs to do more than just you know put up those hook shots that he's so famous for right. uh, posting up constantly. He needs to you know make a bigger impact down low in more than just the shooting aspect of things. Yeah, it, it's going to be an interesting game seven. I, I love game sevens. You know, one you know on the line, pressures on. It's it's you know in baseball and basketball. Um, of course, football you don't really get that, but. Well, every game is a game seven. Yeah, right? every game is a game seven. <laughs> uh, where are you going to lean with this? Where are you going to Where are you going to go? Uh, if I had to make a pick, I'd go with Denver. I think I am um, too. I, I they they just they're the better team. They're the two seed. I mean, we're talking about seventh seed at San Antonio. A lot of a lot of people thought they'd be snapping that streak of twenty one consecutive playoff appearances. He made it twenty two. Popovich also is one win away from tying second all-time in all career playoff wins. So if he gets this win, he ties that record and has a chance to pat, to, to go into second place to be behind only Pat Riley uh, after this. And so. for that, I'm going to go against you, and I'm going to go with <laughs> San Antonio just oh, for man. the intrigue of that. I, I, I don't know. I, I agree. It, it's going to be a toss-up, um, and, and you, we've seen through this series, of course, to this point. Um, I would expect more of something like Game 1 where it seemed a little bit closer. I know games... Three through six have all been by double digits, if I can count. Yeah, they've all been by double digits. Um, game two is a nine-point game as well. Um, I think we'll get something more that's a little bit more scoring, like game one, that 101-96 range. And just because I want Greg Popovich to get there because I'm in love with him, I'm going to go with the Spurs. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll see what happens. It should be a fun matchup. Um, before we go, I do want to talk one quick thing on baseball. As oh, we've all dude. heard, as we've all heard, there is a team calling up its, its top Ooh. prospect for tonight. <laughs> Carter Keyboom is coming up for the Nats. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> the get Nats it? did call up Carter Keyboom, their top short, their top get prospect, the big shortstop. But of course, we're talking about Vladimir Guerrero Jr., uh, the phenom. Hit me, hit me. I have a question because as soon as it got announced that he was going to call up, it was the all, all the content that I was getting, all the notifications for the last few days have been stories about him. It's it, mm-hmm. it's, it seems to be the biggest. Story in baseball, deservingly so, when you get the top prospect coming up. But it seems to be at a different level. What? What separates him from some of the other top prospects in your mind? Well, one thing is just he's been the top prospect for so long. Okay. All right. We we have just seen the Blue Jays prolong his service time. Right. I mean, if we're being completely honest, Guerrero should have been up at the start of last season. Wow. Um, and the fact that he hasn't played until now means that the Blue Jays get him for an additional two years in the future, which they're uh, looking at themselves right now as, you know, we're not contending. Right. Maybe at those two years at the end of his rookie deal, we will be, and we'll so we want him then. Yeah, which, that's a good point. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to dwell too much on this because uh, I could go on for days, but I really, really don't like that part yeah. of the system because you know what it does? is we already have a problem with free agency, right? And oh, we yeah. look at these guys who, if they are held for those additional two years, that means, what, he's going to be 28? Um, I'm not sure exactly when he hits free agency. 29, maybe, or around that range, which... You don't you, you, when you want to be when you want to become a free agent. You want to be around age twenty six. Yeah. That is like the golden year to be a free agent. Is twenty six. Every year that you're on beyond that, you're going to lose money. That's right. why Bryce Harper got three hundred million dollars. He's not the best free agent to hit free agency in the past. You know whatever mm-hmm. years he just so happened to be twenty six years old with so much potential that when you're twenty six, you're in the heart of your prime. You're like wow, I. I 
I could go for at least another six years of being a great player before right. I start to decline. You know, that's when you're 29 years old, at the same point, you only have three years. And right. then if you want a six-year deal at age 29, teams are going to be like, yeah. we'll give you that maybe, but, you know, we're not going to give you $200 million. We're not going to give you $150 million. You know, we're going to pull that back. Or they're just not willing to go the years at all. You'll get uh, an Andrew McCutcheon-type deal, a three-year high average annual value-type deal. Mm-hmm. So if we already have a problem with free agency now... Doing this is only going to further screw these players. And right. you know what the worst part of all of it is? It's the players' union's fault. Because when really? the players' union negotiated the past CBA with Major League Baseball, you want to know what its biggest point of emphasis in all of negotiations once was? More off days during the regular season and better con- conditions on road games. Better hotels, better food, better travel conditions, that kind of thing. That's what they fought for. Wow. Ba- the, the, the teams fought for easier manipulation of things like this. Right. Where they didn't have to give any leeway on how they sign players and that kind of thing. So when the next CBA comes, the players union has its back against the wall because it has so many issues that it needs to resolve, whether it be service time manipulation, whether it be free agency, whatever it is, the qualifying offer, another thing it has been awful. They're going to need to renegotiate all these things, but they have no leverage. They don't have anything that the the teams want. The teams are in a great position where they can spend less money and still contend just as easily because they see, oh, yeah, like, why would I shell out this deal for a guy who's going to be 34 in three years Right. Um, when I could have a 26-year-old player who'd be marginally worse, but every other team's doing this too, so everyone's exactly. just going to get marginally worse. It's not going to matter. We just don't have to pay as much. What, the, what they need to negotiate, and I, I'm, I've heard this on some podcasts. I can't remember who to attribute it to, but I, I think it was Buster only. Set an automatic age of when you become a free agent. Your age, 28 season, you are a free agent. So when you are drafted by your team, say you're in college, and you're 21 years old, boom. Team has you for seven years, and that's it. After seven years, you become a free agent, and you're on your way, right? That actually gives the team incentive to bring their players up. Because at the end of the day, what do you want the incentive to be here for teams? To put the best product on the field, regardless of the consequences, right? Regardless of the cost. Okay, if you incentivize them to call up these prospects quicker, you're going to get the guys like Vladimir, Vlad Guerrero playing immediately. You're going to have more of him, more of those guys in the league. Right. Um, so you know, I I don't like what the Blue Jays did. Chris Bryant is not going to be re-signing with the Cubs. I can guarantee it when he becomes a free agent next offseason or two off seasons from now, because he's he, he filed a grievance for the same situation. They held him out for an extra year. Right. I mean, Guerrero has two years now. That he's going to be able to argue that he was manipulated. I mean, that's that's insane. Yeah. Uh, so you know, yeah, that's why he's so hyped right now is because he's just been around for so long. But you know, that's not to take anything away from him. Right. I mean, he has absolutely tore the cover off the ball. He's not considered a great fielder. Yeah. Uh, and that that's kind of the knock against him. Gotcha. Uh, I don't know how he's going to do at third base. Yeah. Uh, it, it should be interesting to see him adjust. I think there's gonna, definitely going to be some growing pains there. Kind of how Rafael Devers struggled with the, the Red Sox mm-hmm. uh, oh, yeah. coming up. He was kind of the and, same type and, of guy. And Duhar? I don't know if he's the same guy. He had defensive struggles as absolutely, well. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, but, I mean, the raw talent that we see out of Guerrero, I mean, they're saying he's got the power of his father but with better plate discipline. I mean, and if that's any crazy. indication, it's just downright scary. Uh, Does, that feel part of the story, the Does that part of the story make it uh, a little more uh, elevated, too, just with his father? And I mean, his dad literally last summer was inducted in the Hall of Fame. Right. I mean, this is like 
one after another. He, Vlad Guerrero, already in the news. Here comes his son. I mean, it's a great storyline. That's pretty that's cool. The, I love it. The, the, the Blue Jays actually have three sons of former major leaguers. Oh, wow. uh, one other is Craig Biggio's son. I can't remember the third guy, but Biggio also was inducted to the Hall of Fame two years ago, I think. Right. So uh, they have two sons of that's Hall of Famers coming up. Um, cool. But yeah, they're 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 gonna, they've got an exciting farm system. They've got an exciting core. I just wish that we could have seen it sooner. And I think that's why everyone's so excited because it's mm-hmm. more of like a it's about damn time kind right. of thing. Cool. I'm excited to watch my. I, I even consider I'm you know seven o'clock tonight. I believe they play mm-hmm. Oakland. Yep. I think that's the first game, and I'm definitely going to use a uh, Reddit stream for that. So be <laughs> no fun. shame. No, no shame. shame. Yeah, I'll have a I'll have the game probably split with the Nats because. We're hosting the Padres. We got oh, there you uh, go, my your my, boyfriend, my Mill. team. Yeah, your my boy. team, the Padres. They became my uh, my second team. They're coming to town, and we got to we got to do well here because uh, we got the Cardinals coming to DC Fun. the series after. Who I think they have the best record in the National League right now. I think so, yeah. so yeah, it should be tough. And the Nats have been very streaky, uh, but I'm excited for Carter Keeboom. Yeah, that's he's cool. not going to be uh, hyped up as much as no, Guerrero, but no. he has been playing really well. Uh, played well at Double A last year. Tearing the cover off the ball at Triple A, hit got two hits off uh, or two homers, I believe, off Justin Verlander in spring training. Oh, nice! Uh, which was exciting. So uh, he's he's got a high ceiling. We'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, that's that's a little baseball skinny for you. you Anything go. else you want to talk about? Uh, no, I'm excited to watch the next two days of the draft. Shouts out to uh, my boy Jimmy Moreland. Jimmy Mo. We were texting yesterday about the draft. <laughs> he's excited. He's down in I think he's down in Florida right now with his family. So. Mm-hmm. That'll be cool to watch the rest of the draft. I'm excited to see where the, the Colts end up going with the three-second round picks. Saints will finally be on the clock at, at some point. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, getting NBA playoffs, MLB. What a good season. time of year. I'm happy. It's a I great just time to do these tests, fan. and then I'm going to do nothing. The Caps life. lost, though. That was hilarious. <laughs> Not hilarious. Oh, I was so for the Caps. funny. Oh. I made our, our mutual friend Tom. I've made him so mad. I think we're going to have plenty of mentions of Tom on this yeah, podcast. Yeah. So just you'll just guys will just have to know him as Tom. Tom, Tom I I texted him the emojis, uh, the the red circle with a line through it. From I texted the no cap emojis, <laughs> the no to caps, him. and so he did. Like oh that. man, it was it was tough to watch. Uh, it was a long game. Uh, went to double overtime, but right. Uh, an exciting run. It was. It's tough. I uh, liked being able to say that the Caps were the defending right. Stanley Cup champs, but they're officially no longer defending anything. Aww. So. It's going to be someone else this year. It we'll is, see. It is. But you're 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 a day one team. The Knights are also out. So. Yeah, exactly. That was that, that was, was what a, made it an insanely oh, dramatic that game. game. Was inc- <laughs> that was crazy. Four goals in four minutes or yeah. something like that. Oh, heartbreaking. Well, there's your hockey folks. Yeah, there's you know, our. Can't there's say our, we don't <laughs> talk about four major sports. <laughs> there we go. We got all four in one episode. <laughs> it wasn't expected. Look at us. That. Look at us. We're all right. killing it. That's going to wrap us up for today. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to follow us both on Twitter. I'm at Matt Wyrick. Blake is at Blake Andrew Pace. Any final words for the good people? No, enjoy your weekends. Graduation's coming up for us, so that'll be an exciting time. We've got finals week next week. We'll still be here because we'll be here. finals are overrated. But yeah, they are. we're uh, we're gonna have to do Monday remote. By the way, I'm not gonna be oh, yeah. in Harrisburg on Monday. We'll have to do it. Well, we did last Monday's remote too, so we'll get it figured yeah, out. We got this. Cool. All That's right. all I got. All right, everybody. Thank you all so much for listening, and have a good one.